Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. All right, superhumans, we are back with another episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast, and today is an absolute treat in so many unexpected ways. But before I go into who my guest is today and what he is all about, let's give a shout out to you guys, the listener. This one goes out to Silver Sorcerer, who gave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, all of you guys, I really, really appreciate it. It does help and frankly puts a freaking smile on my face. Boomer is a natural interviewer, and it makes these podcasts such a joy to listen to. Each one I've listened to has given me something to learn and build on what I already knew. Occasionally, I find I don't fully agree with the interviewee and find that that is okay. Indeed, it is. Just another way of looking at things. Great work, Boomer, and congratulations on going well beyond 100. Well, Silver Sorcerer, thank you so much for the rating, and thank you to all of you guys who head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. But let's move on to my guest today. All right, so you know when you have a conversation with somebody that could just go on for hours, perhaps days, but due to things like a calendar, they get cut short. That is what happened with today's guest. And my guest today really needs no introduction if you're familiar with the paleo world. Keith Norris is the co-founder of PaleoFX and a longtime advocate, participant, user of the weight room. You can just look at the guy and see. But Keith and I get into many topics, so I want to just let you guys enjoy the show. Everything from changing careers, losing a nest egg, psychedelics, working with your partner, and so much more. The show notes for this one are decodingsuperhuman.com slash paleofx and enjoy this amazing conversation with Keith Norris. If you happen to like Austin, Texas, happen to like July, and then perhaps like July in Austin, Texas, why don't you come to Paleo FX? It's a gathering of all things ancestral nutrition, paleo, and just a lot of great people. The Vendor Village is one of my favorites. It's a great place to not only network with other people in the health optimization space, but also just to try out the latest and greatest gadgets, bars, protein powders, ketone powders, whatever you want. And so if you want to really join Paleo FX, head on over to the show notes for this episode, decodingsuperhuman.com slash paleofx, and I will put whatever discounts I can possibly give you guys on those tickets in the show notes. So please head on over there now or after you listen to this episode because it is amazing. And hope to see you guys in Austin. Mr. Norris, this is an absolute pleasure. Welcome to the show. Boomer, thanks for having me, brother. (laughs) Well, I have to thank uh, Dasha Maximoff for connecting us, among other people, because I know we have some mutual connections in Austin with uh, Dr. Dan Stickler and Micah Hamilton as well. 
Right. All great people. Love Dasha, love Dan and love Micra. They're all fantastic people. I'm lucky enough that I get to run in these circles of fantastic people. Sometimes I wake up and pinch myself. I'm like, damn, what did I what did I do to deserve this? You know? We're going to get into We're going to try and figure that out today, right actually. Uh, so, Keith, look, you've got a long history in business and so many other things, but when I see you in person, I'm like, well, holy shit, that guy is, he works out. And I have to go back to the early days of what got you into exercise. Yeah. So um, I grew up um, not far from Austin, actually, San Antonio, Texas. And if anybody is familiar with the, uh, the lay of the land here, San Antonio in the outskirts of San Antonio is uh, roughly 90 miles south of Austin, but it might as well be another universe. I mean, it is... <laughs> It is, uh, and especially so when I grew up, it was blue collar. I mean, mm-hmm. and it was through and through blue collar. It was, it was labor. Um, it was uh, very intense people. Um, I look back on it now. It was totally scarcity mindset, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in, 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 to, be, to be true, I mean, it, anyone at that time who would have the woo idea of abundance mindset would just get crushed. I mean, it wasn't that atmosphere. So that's one of the big changes I've, that I'm trying to evolve into because I live in a different atmosphere now and I do live in an abundant atmosphere. So that's one of the things that I'm working on to try to reprogram the subconscious mind of Keith Norris. It's that still in his uh, central nervous system thinks that he lives in a, in a scarcity mindset. So that, there's mm-hmm. that whole piece, but, but growing up, um, I was always a, I was a fidgety kid, man. I mean, if you would have looked back on it, I would have been the classic ADD kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a school with, I sound like I'm freaking ancient, but and maybe I am, but I went to a school that had no air conditioning in South Texas. Right. And so the windows were always open during the, the spring. And that could be summer. pretty rough. <laughs> pretty, pretty freaking. But I mean, we didn't know any better. Right. I mean, you just. And I, I was that kid who sat in class and was constantly fidgeting and looking, looking outside and just wanted to get outside. Mm-hmm. And lucky, luck, luckily enough, I had uh, you know, teachers at that time who had the ability to go, hey, get up and get outside and go freaking swing on the monkey bars or do whatever and come back in once you get this energy burnt, <laughs> burn off. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I was always a, a movement-oriented kid. I just felt alive when I was moving. Um, a very, very long convoluted story cut relatively short. I, um, followed an older friend of mine who was a pretty good track and field athlete. And this guy was about five years older than I was, but, uh, he was kind of my mentor at the time. And, uh, you know, lucky enough, he, he kind of took me under his wing and, you know, let me follow him around. Anyway, I ended up in an AAU track and field practice. He was an AAU athlete in AAU okay. at that time. Um, was the was the feeder pipeline for the Junior Olympics and then yep. from the Junior Olympics to the Olympic Training Center. So they had this kind of like uh, basketball is now in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I was out at this practice and I'm just kind of like running, you know, outside, but along with the with the older kids and the and the coach out there was like, who is this kid? And he came up to me and he said, who's whose track club are you with? And I was like, I'm not anybody's track club. I'm just out here running. And he said, well, you are in a track club now. So <laughs> um, anyway, so that, that started me off. I was an, a natural sprinter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did very, very well in sprint events up until the time I got to be about 
13, 14 years old, I started to mature, you know, testosterone started to kick in and I became more of a thicker kid. Mm-hmm. And, and I began to get run down in the sprints and the, in the fight, I always had a great start, but I began to run, get, getting run down at the latest stages of sprint. I ran hundred and 200 meters for my best. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, the track coach at that time, much to his, um, it, it hurt me at the time, but this guy had a vision. He said, look, you, you are not going to be a natural sprinter. He said, you're mm-hmm. maturing into this bigger kid. Um, he said, you need to concentrate on football. He said, you're football fast. And I would like you to, to put all of your efforts into football from here on out. And sprint in the offseason, yes, because you're fast, but uh, transition into football. So I did. And so South, South Texas football. South Texas like Friday team. night lights, man, I'm telling yeah. you. And it is, it is the truth. Now, I had played football since the time I was a, a little kid, but I really loved sprinting. Um, but on that advice, I went, uh, fully into football. Long story short, lived the Friday night lights thing in South Texas, did all the, uh, you know, did all the things got recruited, uh, back in the eighties when recruiting was a wild, wild west. And it was, mm-hmm. I've got some stories, man. I need to write some, oh. I need to oh. write some stories. Um, the, the autobiography of Keith <laughs> Norris. Here we it, go. <laughs> it, it was the wild, wild west of recruiting mm-hmm. at that time. Just, um, anyway, uh, wound up with a, uh, a football scholarship, played football, did very, very well, had access to some of the best coaches ever. Um, but was always that kid who had to train to play with the best, right? I mm-hmm. had decent physical abilities, but I had to train to be on the, uh, on the field and I had to be smart and I had to watch a lot of film. I had to do all of the other things, which led me to become very, very, uh, into a sports training. What is the training that I can do to, to milk the most out of my system and B, what is the psychological side of this? Why are certain coaches able to worm into my head and and pull every last bit of performance out of me while, while others don't seem to have that. So from mm-hmm. a very young age, I had two of those things going on and it was, uh, I was very interested in that. Um, I wound up at that, <clears throat> excuse me. I wound up at that time, uh, suffering a career ending injury. Uh, I had a devastating knee injury, kind of a freak accident on the field. Uh, you know, shit happens. Was it? ACL or something else. A- ACL and MCL at the same time. Ouch. It was a, it was a train wreck. Yeah, and it was mm-hmm. just a, it was just a bizarre set of circumstances that set that up. Um, kind of lost my total identity at that time because every I was uh, no plan B for your A game guy. I mean, yeah. I was all eggs in that basket. My entire identity was wrapped up in being a football player. Everything. I was not the guy, and I played with guys who. Being a football player was a character they played, mm-hmm. right? And they were, they were decent student athletes, um, and they had another plan for after they were going to play. I was not that guy. It, mm-hmm. it was not a character I was playing. That was my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of went through a soul-searching period. I knew I wasn't going to be able to play anymore. Um, it, 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 a lot of things happened at that time. I was a young father, um, and you had to provide. Um, so I, I went into the next best thing that I thought at that time, uh, to stay in the boys club and that was go into the military. And so I spent spent nine years in the military, um, in the Navy. 
um, had a young family at this time, but was still very, very interested in, in training, psychology, all of those other things. It, you know, it, had it been another time, I would have come out and gone into coaching. I wasn't <laughs> necessarily interested in the X's and O's of, of football, although I love the game. But my, my true love was in the training and the psychology. But at mm-hmm. that time, no one made any money doing that. Yeah. Strength and conditioning coaches would starve to death at that time. <laughs> you didn't have guys like Trevor Moad and some of no, these other people that, that it have just made wasn't, pretty big names. Yeah. And uh, Boyd Epley at the time at Nebraska was kind of yeah. one of the first that made that a position that actually made money. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, that, that was another decade or so. But before, you know, before I came along. So anyway, um, so that, so that was my start. And then it transitioned into, well, how can I train my fellow service members Mm -hmm. and how can I train myself? Because I still loved it. I still, even though I wasn't competitive anymore, I still loved the feeling of having a body that was fine tuned and ready to rock and roll at a moment's notice. Yeah. And that's, and, and I've still maintained that. I mean, I still love that. At 55 years old, I'm still like, when people tell me, damn, dude, you're in freaking rocking shape for 55. I'm like, I don't want to hear 55. Tell me I'm in rocking shape for any age. That's what, yeah. that's what I shoot for. So yeah, so that's it, in the, that's it in a nutshell. That's how I got into training. And do you still have a coach when you do this? Or are you coaching yourself at this I, point? Uh, you know, as Dan John says, uh, a coach who has, who has himself for a coach is a fool. <laughs> and I... <laughs> I kind of, I, I like that idea. Um, I don't have a single coach per se, but mm-hmm. I am constantly picking the brains of everyone around me who I think knows something. I'm yeah. constantly, constantly picking their brains. Yeah. I think you just deciphered why I started a podcast in the first place <laughs> was right. to be able to have like the constant access to, to coaches. Yeah. Now, like- you know, Andy Galpin, Mike T. Nelson, that great. And I'm lucky enough that I, I can text them, right. Mm-hmm. And, and get answers and we can have a discussion. And so, so yeah, not one single coach who I'm with, but coaches, mentors who I can, who I can ask. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, that's the paleo FX story. You spread that umbrella out, you know, just all aspects of health and wellness. I can, I can call Rob Wolf and say, Hey man, what do you think about this? I can call Sean Wells. Hey, what do you think about this? Um, and that's mm-hmm. really, that was really the impetus for paleo effects. I just knew people and I am not a rocket scientist. Again, I'm a, I'm a blue collar kid from South Texas, man. I just know people and I'm not afraid to ask. Before we go into the paleo FX story, I think there's a bridge missing here, sure. which is uh, the point where I believe you own some gyms. Is that right? right? Well, and so let's yeah. go into that. So this is how that came about. So I came out of the Navy after nine years in the Navy. Um, again, young family, had to provide for a young family. Um, had a contact who was in the human resources department of a, of a farm, of a, at that time, a massive pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was insistent that I come in and interview. She said, your, your job skills, what you've acquired in the Navy would fit perfect for this position in the pharmaceutical industry. At that time, this is around 1993 ish, 92. 
um, I didn't know any better. I mean, I thought the pharmaceutical industry existed to help humanity. <laughs> I had, you know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought this is freaking fantastic. I can be in a, I can be in a business one where I can continue my education. Number two, I can actually help humanity. And number three, let's face it, I can make freaking bank. Yeah. So I, I went down and interviewed. I was all in. Um, I it eventually rose up through the ranks to a position where I was essentially uh, a liaison between the FDA in the U.S. and the pharmaceutical manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So I kind of my my degree is in political science. Um, I a little bit of a lobbyist, it sounds like. But yeah, and I and I had the opportunity to go to JAG school to law school while I was in the military. And friends who I had gone to college with who had since gone to law school and were now practicing were like, dude, you need to think twice about that freaking move. Mm-hmm. They were like, it's not what you think it is. And it is not, it, it's not. It, and mm-hmm. they laid out to me what it was. And they're like, cool, if you want to do it, but here's the reality of, of working in law. This is the reality of it. And so- it, I would love to talk a little bit about the reality of working in law, but also right. there, there's a jump here that you made. And I want to know, right. there, I'm assuming there's a cathartic moment. What was yes. that moment where you very, said, right, time very, to go? Right. Very cathartic moment. So, you know, as I rose to the ranks of the pharmaceutical industry, I got to peek behind the screen of how uh, R&D money is is being partitioned. I got to see the inner workings of the pharmaceutical industry itself. Um, and it was very uh, disheartening. And, and mm-hmm. look, let's face it. I, I am not a, uh, I, I am a realist. Businesses exist to make profit. That's what they exist. For. That, that is their livelihood is to make profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm a realist in that sense. But I, the way I saw profit being made, the types of drugs that were, that the R&D money was being funneled into, um, it, it was very, very disheartening. Right. And I knew that a lot of these diseases and in towards towards the end of my pharmaceutical career, I worked for a pharmaceutical company whose mainstay was all things diabetes. Mm-hmm. Everything that all, all the insulin, the injectables, the, de- the delivery systems, everything that had to do with diabetes. Um, I happened to be in a meeting with executives. Um, this was 2005, six, somewhere in that neighborhood. And they were discussing the hockey stick rise of diabetes in the U S and worldwide. Mm -hmm. And there was a feeling of giddiness in that meeting. That's a little upsetting. And I, and it, and it was, and it just, and I think that was the, and I was already teetering on, you know, there was a lot of things going through my mind and my wife, Michelle, who was, was not in the pharmaceutical industry, but she was, um, essentially she worked with the Starbucks corporation building new Starbucks. And we were both at that point where we were like, all right. But and, and Michelle comes from the same part of Texas that I do. And again, blue collar background, all of this. And in the eyes of where we came from and in our own minds, we had made it. I mean, we mm-hmm. were living the American dream, big cars, massive house, kids in the best schools you could imagine. Um, we were financially set and we were, we were empty inside. Mm-hmm. And so at this time, we're trying to we're trying to figure out, okay, what what's the next step? What are we going to do? This obviously is not it. We have made it, and yet we're unhappy. 
So what, what's missing here? Go to that meeting, listen to that. And I'm like, this is just not it, man. This disease that we're talking about is manageable with a person's lifestyle, with what they eat, with how they exercise, you know, what they expose themselves to, all the epigenetic factors. It doesn't have to be a pharmaceutically moderated uh, condition. It doesn't have to be this way. Yet the pharmaceutical industry, obviously, that's the last thing they want to put out. Of course. But so that was that it was a soul search moment. Um, so we decided to get out. Um, we were at that time heavily, heavily, heavily invested in real estate. That mm-hmm. was our, that was our bank. That's where all of our in, investments went. And, uh, 2008 hit. So we're making mm-hmm. our plans to, to exit out. Um, we look at our, you know, real estate portfolio and we start making a plan to get out. So all of our, fuck you money as Masam Talib says was tied yeah. up in real estate, which was booming at that time mm-hmm. taking off. Um, then the financial crisis of 2008 hit and real estate tanked. And with it, everything we had tanked everything. Mm-hmm. We couldn't get out from under it. Um, and it, so we went from living the American dream to teetering on bankruptcy. I mean, we were very close to, to being bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask just some of these sure, properties, yeah. I'm assuming there's, there's a bit of leverage here. So f- for people following along, I'm imagining there's some leverage and that's why everything kind of, when the music stopped, it kind of came crashing a little bit faster. Yeah. For, you know, for your listeners, just to, you know, I won't go into the, what all went into the 2008 financial crisis, but. Oh, we don't have to. There's a lot of finance a lot people of, listening. Okay. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that was everything we had, everything we had realistic, all of our, all of our fucking money was tied up in real estate because that was yeah. a safe bet at the time. Of course. Um, yeah. And at that time, as we're trying to backpedal out of this, um, we're, we're still like, we are, we're bailing. We don't know what we're bailing to, but we're bailing to something other than this. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our daughter, who was away at college at the time, she was 22. It was a week before her college graduation. Uh, we lived in North Carolina at the time. She was going to school in Georgia. Um, we came home to the news that she had died in an auto accident. Jesus. That evening. Um, and this was, this was uh, May of 2009. Oh. Uh, and we were, so now we're financially near bankruptcy. You know, we've lost a, a daughter in, in an auto accident. And we're, so now we're emotionally bankrupt as well. Mm-hmm. It was just a, it was one of the worst times that Michelle and I have ever lived through. It was absolutely horrible, mm-hmm. but we persevered. We, we said, you know, it will do, Brittany was her name. Um, it will do Brittany no justice, no honor for us to keep doing what we're doing because we're miserable. Would she want us to be miserable? No, she would want us to move forward in the light of all this. Mm-hmm. So we, so we backed up, we took stock of where we were, we took stock of our skills, whatever marketable skills we had and what were we going to do on our own in an entrepreneurial way? What, what were we going to do? Well, my skills were in strength and conditioning and psychology. Um, she was a, a chef. So we came up with a plan. We knew we wanted to come to Austin, Texas, because at that time, and it still is, that was a place where things were happening. Yeah. Remind me again, where in North Carolina were you? And then so we're so we're Greenville, North Carolina, which is um, ish, sixty miles east of Raleigh. Okay. 
Um, so it's coastal North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, that's where we lived at that time. Um, so we packed up what we had left. We took it on the chin financially, packed everything we had in a, in a trailer and headed to Austin. And, and we got here. I, I tell people we got here like, like the Clampants, man. I mean, it was serious. It, it was seriously rough for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just bootstrapped our way up from there, man. She, she opened a catering business, uh, a healthy eating slash paleo catering business, which if anyone has been in the catering business, man, it is tough. Ruthless. It is ruthless. It's long hours in the kitchen. It's long hours at events. It's just a grind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I partnered with a guy who was here in Austin, Texas at the time. And, uh, he had a gym concept that we, we kind of, you know, we were 80% in agreement with the gym concept. And I thought I'll give it, uh, and, and he thought as well, we'll give it six months together in a partnership, see if we can make this work. And if not, we'll go our separate ways and, and take our own concepts and roll. It wound up that that concept worked. Mm-hmm. Um, not only did it work, but it freaking took off and, uh, we were off and running. So I owned gyms, Michelle owned the catering business and, and we started to build back up from nothing really. And we just scrapped our way out of it. Yeah. It's an incredible story. And thank uh, you for sharing that. Absolutely. Keith. That's, absolutely. um, it's incredible how you guys did that. Now there's one more transition here that I think we have to cover. And right. I would love to just kind of look at when you're evaluating these transitions, because mm-hmm. going from the pharmaceutical industry into something else that you're a little bit more passionate about, um, <clears throat> that one seemed a little bit more clear, but now you're, it sounds like you're going from the gym, which was doing very well right. to paleo FX. And when you, Explain it if you don't mind. I would love to understand just sort of what was the the thinking, any sort of checklist you're running through your head as to how you're going to make that work. Right. Well, let me back up and say that I am a self taught business person. Right? <laughs> I, I, I love that. It, it it really. I mean, I you want to talk about uh, the school of hard knocks in business? It was totally that for me, um, mm-hmm. and for Michelle as well. I in, let me back up and say when I went to college initially, I was not a good student. I went to play football, just mm-hmm. to be totally honest. I, I was not a good student in high school. I was totally disengaged. Um, had it not been for football and a, a, a scholarship to go to school, I would have gone and worked in the oil fields. I would have mm-hmm. either gone to West Texas or I would have gone offshore because that's where all my that's what all my friends were doing. Any male of my age at that time, if, if they wanted to make money and they were not scared of work, that's what they did. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would have done had it not been for football sending me to school. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to school, again, very disengaged, thought I had no place there, had no idea what I wanted to study because there was no um, study strength and conditioning. There was no study psychology as it, as it pertains to performance. It, you know, it wasn't there. So I was very <laughs> disengaged. I happened to run into a couple of professors that really brought it out of me and really taught me what education is. Mm-hmm. And at that point I flowered and I thought, wow, okay, I like it. I like this education thing. 
cool. Um, so, so there's that. But I took exactly, and, and so two stories with this. Number one, I went to my freshman orientation, had no, again, no clue, very full of myself, just total, total jock. Um, had no idea what I wanted to do. I had a friend who was a, who was a business major. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, you got, it's a requirement. You have to go to an orientation. Just come with me to the business orientation and, and check it off your, check it off your list and be done with it. Mm-hmm. So I went when I was at that orientation, sitting in the back, very, you know, bored and whatever, just, just trying to get my time checked off. A girl stood up and the, the thing was, you know, people were going around introducing themselves. Hey, white, what, what are you here to study? What are you going to do? This girl stood up. Number one, she was beautiful, caught my attention. Um, and she, as she's going through her talk, she, she mentioned, and I can't remember exactly what it was that she wanted to do, but I remember she used the term entrepreneur. Like she mm-hmm. wanted to be the first uh, female entrepreneur to whatever, whatever, whatever. And I thought to myself, didn't say it to anybody. I thought, what the fuck is an entrepreneur? <laughs> I, I've done I the had, same thing. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't know that existed. And when I finally figured out what it was, it seemed like an alien class of people to me. I'm like, really? People like start businesses? And I don't know what I thought at the time. I don't know. It, I didn't think much, to tell you the truth. But I, it seemed like an alien class. I was like, how do they do that? Yeah. They just start a business and, and, and make money? What the mm-hmm. hell? And it, it totally blew my mind at the time, which is crazy to me now. Anyway, <clears throat> after, after that, I, um, and at that time, the, the college system for athletes where I went to school would kind of pick your classes for you <laughs> because they wanted you to remain eligible to step on the field. Right. So they kind of, they would pick a couple classes maybe and, and kind of, but they, I remember they, the football players in Minnesota <laughs> getting like right. the best schedules. It was like, right. I, yeah. So it, they used to call it like rocks for jocks or something like that. I remember that. Yeah. Totally. And I was totally in that camp. Right? I mean, totally. I, I hate, I, I hate to say that now, but I was totally that guy. I was totally mm-hmm. that guy. Um, anyway, I ended up in an, in an accounting one-on-one class. Mm. I had no clue. Anyway, I walk in debits and credits, baby. <laughs> first class, first class I walked into, I sat down. I'm like, okay, what's this going to be about? About 15 minutes in, I was like, I don't know what this is, but fuck this. I got mm-hmm. up and left. <laughs> and I dropped the class immediately. And the coaching staff went freaking berserk. And I was like, no way, no way. Put me in mm-hmm. dance, put me in what, another PE club, whatever, but not that. Yeah. That was my exposure to business. That is the only business class I have ever had. Ever. There has to be some books, teachers, any sort of mentors so, along the way, or right. is it just so purely I, so like I, licking right. your wounds? So after I kind of came to my senses and as I matured, um, and then especially during my Navy career, I really started to, I mean, I read voraciously. Mm-hmm. I read everything I could get my hands on. Any opportunity, you know, is, uh, since masterminds have come into vogue in the last 15 years or so, I have been to numerous masterminds. So it has been a self-education mm-hmm. going forward, but my natural instincts are still not in business, which is why 
being partnered with my significant other, Michelle, has been great because she has great business acumen. She mm-hmm. gets it. If I have any superpower whatsoever, if I have any, it is that I am a great networker. I know people. I connect dots of people who can do business together. Not that I could in any way, shape, or form run that business, but I'm an ideas person, yeah. right? I'm like, that idea would fit great with that idea. You people need to meet each other and see what mm-hmm. comes of it. I'm a great matchmaker in that sense. Um, and I love people. I, mm-hmm. I love people. I love their stories. Um, and, and so that's really the only superpower I have in that way. And so between me and Michelle, who, who does have some really, really good business chops and business sense, we make a, we make a formidable team. I want to go into that team in a second, um, but on the, the switch over to Paleo FX, um, how did that come about? Because another mutual friend, Holly, uh, Italian, I believe is her surname. Oh yeah. I love, yeah. I love Holly. Yeah. Yeah. So she was telling me about a dinner that she had with you right before uh, you guys announced the first conference and you guys are like, yeah, we're going to bring in some people. Uh, take us through that because it sounded like an interesting idea. And I imagine like being there at the time, if I was sitting in Holly's seat, I'd be like, okay, you guys are either a little crazy or brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, what, how did that go? I, I would opt for more on the crazy side than brilliant. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's better to be crazy. <laughs> right. Um, and lucky. Um, mm-hmm. which is what we also were, um, the idea for paleo FX just hit at the right time. And, you know, people ask, people ask us many, many times, how did you know that that was the right time? How did you know that this mix would work? And the, the truthful answer is we didn't, man. We mm-hmm. had no idea. It was, it was luck. It, it was, you know, we had the right idea at the right time. And if there was anything that I would accredit to us, it's that we actually, put it into action. We didn't just mm-hmm. think about it. We actually rolled the dice and, and, and see where it went. And it, so in saying that right before PaleoFX started and that proposition was kind of dicey, we had zero idea if this thing was going to make any money, if it was going to be a money hole. We had no idea, none whatsoever, but we were pretty much inoculated against fears of bankruptcy by this time. I yeah. mean, we, really, we were just like, yeah, whatever. We have have been through the ringer, whatever, bankruptcy, doesn't even, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So so there's that. So we had that resilience that we had built in in that capacity. Um, Michelle and I were going to masterminds. We were going to different conferences because that's what we like to do. I mean, we like to be around like-minded people. Yeah. And um, entrepreneurial type people. And we are voracious readers, voracious learners. Anyway, we were at a at a conference, um, the ancestral the ancestral health conference. I don't know if yeah, you're the symposium, right? Symposium. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they ha- they had their inaugural event in 2011 at um, in Los Angeles at UCLA. Um, we went to that conference. I spoke at that conference. And uh, after it was all done, and that conference was very unique because it was the first time that many people in this paleo sphere had come together to to meet each meet each other. It was the first time yeah. I met Rob Wolf in person. It was the first time I met Chris Cresser in person. All of these people um, had online um, relationships with them, but hadn't met them in person until then. Anyway, went to that conference. Great conference. Very academic. 
Yeah. Very, very, which is what they do. That's, that's mm -hmm. their thing. Um, but being entrepreneurs, uh, Michelle and I were sitting on the runway on the tarmac at LAX, getting ready to fly back to Austin. And we're kind of debriefing from the, from the event. And we thought that was an awesome event. Um, and, and we were thinking of ideas to give Brett and his team, uh, or our ideas for improvement. Yeah. This is what this is what we think you ought to do to improve the event because they asked for it. Um, they asked us to do that. So we're sitting there and we're discussing that we would like to see more rubber meets the road type stuff. Okay, you have all this theory, academic theory, but how is this going to trickle down to the to the even the educated layperson? What mm -hmm. are they going to do with this? Um, having gyms, Michelle having your catering business the people that we interacted with on the daily wanted to know that what they were doing was backed by legitimate science, that it made sense, but they wanted to know exactly what to do. What do yeah. I eat for breakfast? How do I exercise? You know, how do all of those things, they wanted the practical side of it, not the elevate. They didn't have time to filter through all that stuff. Mm -hmm. our, our clients were doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs and all these people were, you know, working 70 hours a week. They don't have time to geek out. That's why they hired us. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, what would a conference look like that was, you know, brought down a notch? If we mm -hmm. distilled this, if we had the speakers and coached the speakers to, to distill the science down to, down to actionable points that, that the educated layperson could get, that would be yeah. kind of cool. And we had some other ideas. Um, and so we were sitting there discussing this and we thought, they're never going to do this. That's not their thing. You know, mm -hmm. the, their thing is to be academic and be mm -hmm. good on them. We, we need that. And we thought, well, who else can do? Who else is doing this that we can give this idea to? And we went through our Rolodex and our minds were like, nobody. And then we thought, well, who's going to do it other than us? And so by the time we got back to Austin, we had a quote unquote business plan on the back of a Southwest Airlines napkin. <laughs> I, I wish I still had that napkin because it was just rough ideas and sketches and by the time we got back to Austin, Austin, we had a quote unquote business plan. That's Keith Norris type of business plan. <laughs> yeah. Not business major. Um, and that was uh, summer of 2011. And by spring 2012, we had the first event. It started off, the idea was to have a mastermind, uh, mm -hmm. 150, 200 people at max. We were going to have it at one of our gyms here in Austin. We were going to have um, a you know, a handful of speakers come in, maybe five, six, and it was, it was going to be more of a, a mastermind type idea. As soon as the word got out that we were doing this, uh, we brought Rob Wolf in first. He called Rob and said, Hey Rob, this idea we got, we have to have a mainliner on board to even, cause we're going to have to bootstrap this up. We got to sell tickets forward to be able to pay for the event. Kind of told him roughly what we were looking at. And Rob was like, yeah, 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 whatever. He's like, I don't know what you guys are trying to cook up, but if I can hang out in Austin with you guys for a week, then whatever, sign me up. And, and yeah, he's I'm the it. perfect guy to distill right. that message into, yes. I mean, Rob's how I originally got into paleo right. back in the day, right? So. And, he, and he was the, if we were looking at someone who could do it, Rob could do it. Yeah. Rob is, and many people who don't know Rob well don't know just how freaking smart that dude is. Yeah. Biochemist. I mean, he is wickedly smart and he can talk science to anybody, mm -hmm. but 
his main reason for being is to get the word out. So he yeah. will adjust his conversation according to who needs it. Mm-hmm. If it's mm-hmm. a, if it's the very, very basics, he's right there. If it means let's talk science and biochemistry, he's right there. So he was, he was kind of the North star of the speaker we were looking for mm-hmm. and how we, how we wanted to present this information. And so Rob came in, we had Rob, um, we had a venue that we thought would work. Um, but we quickly, and I mean, very quickly surpassed the 150 people we were able to hold. Um, and we had to go looking for another venue. Thank goodness. University of Texas had a venue for us that we could use and we were off and running 700 people. The first event, um, a financial disaster, (laughs) (laughs) A financial disaster. I can't even begin to tell you how rugged it was. So again, teetering on bankruptcy again, we thought, well, we've got two choices. We can roll the dice and do a year two because it was a functional success. It was a popular success. People loved it. It was just a financial disaster. And we thought, okay, if we can turn the dials and kind of figure out what an event looks like from the financial side of things, Let's give this another go. We'll roll the dice and we'll have a year two to see if we can get out of the hole from year one. That was really the only reason year two took off is we, wow. were, in a, we were in a financial position and we were crazy enough to roll the dice again. So that position, when people are faced with it, and I just want to dial in on that. Mm-hmm. When people are faced with it, let's, and I, you know, statistics may be made up here. Most people would turn the other way and say like, hey, we're not going to roll the dice. Right. Is it just this unbridled confidence that you have in yourself? Or is it what what sort of factors went into the decision to take that step forward? All right. So these guys are going to be exhibiting at Paleo FX 2020. And the CEO, Jiraj Kochar, has been on the show before. At the time of this broadcast, you guys may or may not have the access to the Jiraja episode, but I encourage you to stay tuned because there are just certain things in life that I cannot explain. Namely, right now, precious metals and precious stones. Aside from a few commodities trades in my life, I haven't really gone down that wormhole yet. But there is something about the Somo Vedic that just is enticing. It interests me seems to just make my life better. And so I have the Medic Green Ultra, which I've plugged in in my office. And whenever I walk into my office now, I feel just a lighter sense of being. I feel more energetic. I have better focus. And I'm just able to get more done, the old GSD, if you will, which I find extremely helpful. I've spoken to a number of programmers who have felt the same way, and it is just a subtle change, but sometimes subtle changes make all the difference. If you want to check out the Somovedic yourself, it's at somovedic.com, and you can use the code BOOMER, which will give you 10% off. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Keith Norris. You know, and I can, I can go way woo here. Please, woo, woo, we we right. are we are going to go as woo as you want to. If I if I would have had business advice from and we did have business advice from people that told us do not do a year two, do not do it. It is too risky. 
you guys are going to go under. If you go under, you're going to have to start completely from scratch again. Do you? And we took all that advice in. And, you know, Boomer, I, I don't know. There, there was a vibe at that event that we felt that both of us, both Michelle and I knew we, we, had, we were on to something. Mm-hmm. No matter what the financial side of it said, we knew that we were on to something. And we followed that gut instinct, even though logically it made zero sense to do so. It, we, yeah. could not, we could not cook numbers in any way to make logical sense to do a year two. There was just no way. Um, and I, I mean, I'm know, happy to go woo with you here because sure, yeah. I, in that feeling of paleo FX, right? Uh, and I've been, I'm going again this year. There's that element of community. And right. whenever you get that community together, it's like when you and I met up in, in January. It's like just right. so nice to be around the crowd. And you're like, holy shit, I wish this was my life all the time, right? And that is kind of the, the feeling that I get at Paleo FX. Right. And, it's, and I can't, it was a gut instinct in both of us that this will work. Mm-hmm. People want this. It's going to be on us to figure, figure it out financially and make smart financial decisions to, you know, to keep it rolling. But people want this. It was the ultimate A-B test, I guess. And it was, but, but there was no real B, right? <laughs> there was no, well, B, B would be for bankruptcy, I guess. I don't, um, but, but we knew we had something. And I can't define how we knew it. We had no metric by which to know that other than our internal gut feeling that we have something. Mm-hmm. And we went with it. And again, luck was on our side. Right idea, right time. We surrounded ourselves with the best people possible both from the tribe, the attendee side, both with the speaker side. I, I think of all of the variables that were involved in that first event, the AV director who we brought in on a recommendation, who we worked to death and so, so underpaid this guy. I, I mean, and he was willing to work with us because he believed in the idea. He felt the vibe on the floor and he's like, I'm willing to work with you, man. If you want to do this again, let's freaking do this. Mm-hmm. And he's been our AV director since day one. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, we still have not paid him what he's worth on the open market. Still. If he's listening and, right now, you can quote you. <laughs> right. I, I'm telling you, Michael Gattino out of, out of uh, Colorado, if anybody wants to work with him, I'm telling you, we could not afford his base rate, but he believes in the movement. He believes in us. He believes in the passion and the message and all of that. And to a person, we still have not paid a speaker to come in and speak. That's amazing. They come because they believe in the movement mm-hmm. and they want to be in that atmosphere and that vibe. Yeah. And I mean, Rob still, Rob, if you're listening, has still never sent in a travel voucher. We're like, Rob, we will pay for your hotel. We'll pay for your airfare. <laughs> Just send us something to pay you by. And he's like, forget it. I just, yeah, he he doesn't want you to know that he's sleeping on like the couch next door, or something, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but that is the type of person that comes to Paleo FX. I mean, they're there for the tribe, and so we—that was what we knew in our gut. We're like, we, you know, it's going to be on us to make this thing work in a financial sense. We've got yeah. to figure this out so it can continue to roll. 
And we've done very well at doing that. And, you know, I don't want to go into the business of events, but they are producing any kind of event is a crapshoot, man. It is tough. It is risky. It is angst promoting. <laughs> it is all yeah. of those things. And there's really no model to model. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't, and most events like ours are lost leads for another product they have on the back end. Mm -hmm. And up, up until two years ago, we didn't have a product on the back end. We had to make the event profitable. Mm -hmm. And in fact, people who know events who would ask us in the early days, wow, this is a great event. What's your, what's this, you know, it's essentially for most companies, a marketing expense. Yeah. What is this marketing expense funding on the back end? And we're like, nothing. <laughs> we don't have anything. <laughs> and, they, and they would be like, what? How, how are you doing? How are you pulling this off? Yeah. I don't know. It, and I think, Boomer, the, the big thing is that, that both of us went into this not classically educated in business. Because if mm -hmm. we had been, we would have, we would have never done it. I'm convinced of that. Now we would have never done it because it does not make business sense at all. Zero. Yeah. But yeah. it makes, but it, but it makes gut sense. It's great. And so that's, that's why it flowered and, and just by way of comparison. So 700 people at the first event in 2012, last year we had a little over 8,000. You read my mind. Cause that was going to be my next. So that's, that's the, that's the growth trajectory that the first year we had, 12 vendors on the floor, two of which actually paid us anything. The other 10 mm -hmm. were just like, just come set up we a booth. So it doesn't look empty in this place. <laughs> um, 240 last year. Wow. I love the I, vendor. The vendor village right. is amazing. It's, um, and, and I'll speak to the vendor village just for a second, not to go off on a tangent, but every vendor out there has jumped through so many hoops as far as, what the ingredient, if it's a food ingredient, there are 75 banned ingredients that they cannot have. Mm -hmm. I don't care how big your check is, how much you want to write. You're not coming on the floor. And that I'm was guessing a, one of them is gluten. <laughs> yes, one, of them, <laughs> one of them is gluten. Absolutely. Um, but that hurt us financially and in business minded people who were, who were in good faith trying to give us advice. We're going, you are freaking crazy. You are turning away checks. You're turning, these people want to write you a check. And we're like, if this thing's going to take off, we can't have that on our floor. We have yeah. to be a representative. We have to be the flagship representative of this movement and of this tribe, or we are nothing. So if, so if we flounder financially early, so be it, but we can't sell out in that way. We have to be the flagship of this movement. So it's worked out in the long run, but it, it, in the short term, man, it hurt. There's a, there's a Harvard professor who wrote a book on, or not a book, a paper on the value of integrity. And he actually put a calculation to it. And I think this is a good demonstration of that. It's just, it's, he called it the return on integrity. So ROI in a different sense. Right. And it seems like paleo FX is very much demonstrable or an example of that ROI concept. Right. And, and I, I will tell you it. Um, so in the early, the first three years, man, we were robbing from the gyms. We were robbing, you know, it was Peter pay Paul. That's yeah. how we, that's how we kept it rolling. And there were, 
there were times we were within two weeks ago and we cannot do, you know, we, we can't forfeit our other businesses to keep this afloat. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was touch and go. It was touch and go for four years until we finally turned a corner to a paleo effects was starting to hold its own and, mm -hmm. and put on its big boy pants and, and, and kind of be its own entity. Uh, but we're still trying to unravel from that. I mean, we still have, and our accountant is just like so crazy with us. He's like, you've got to completely untangle the Norris entity out of paleo yeah. effects. You've got yeah. to, and, and we get it, but it's, I mean, it's a slow go. It's uh you know, when you, yeah. when you look at how much paleo FX owes bank of Norris, it's like, we can't stroke that check just right now. This is going to have to be a payback period. But uh, yeah, it was, we put everything into that event, everything, heart, soul, money, sleepless nights, um, stress on our relationship. Like you cannot even believe the stress on our relationship that we went through during that time. Um, but yeah, but it's all worth it. When you look back at it, when we step on that floor at Paleo FX, when it opens the doors, I, I, I can't tell you the sense of pride that we feel and mm. not, not slapping ourselves on the back, but the pride in this movement, the pride in the attendees and the pride in feeling that vibe on the floor at Paleo FX. It's all, it makes it all worth it. Completely. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so the intercompany loan to Bank of Norris is aside. <laughs> right. What I, I want to talk about now is is Michelle, and yeah. because what you two have is, is special in the sense that I, I've been looking at it from the outside and I'm like, how how do they make that work? Mm. Um, I would love to hear just more like how you guys met before we go into the business side of things. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how we met. We actually met in high school. Wow. Um, and um, we did not date in high school. In fact, Michelle set me up with, with some of the best girlfriends I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, was, she was an excellent wingman. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, we, we always had this attraction, but we never dated, right? And we kind of ran in the same circles and cliques in high school. And uh, we were just really, really good friends. And I, looking back on it now, we didn't date because we were such good friends. Yeah. Right. And, and that mindset back then, well, if you, if you want to ruin a friendship, the first way to do that is to, <laughs> is to date. So, of course. so there was that. And to be quite honest, again, she was a hell of a wingman. So I didn't want to ruin that. But, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so we met in high school. Um, I, I was a year older than Michelle. Um, I went off to college, did my thing kind of when I left town, I left town. I mean, I was, you know, I was that kid that, anywhere but here, you know, that whole growing up mindset, you just want that, to get out. That was me too. Right. So when I cut ties, I cut ties and bam, I went off to school and then from school to the military. And uh, I would keep up with Michelle every now and again. Um, and this is a, the old days where it was like handwritten letters and shit, you know, Ooh, just, that could be really romantic. So, yeah. And, but it was all, it was very, always very topical. It was always, you know, just friends. Hey, what's up? You know, Hey, I'm in freaking Italy right now I'm in the military. What's up with you? You know, and we kept up both of us, you know, married other people, went off, had kids elsewhere with other people. And, uh, it, as the universes want to do, both of us were going through divorces. Um, mm -hmm. 
and uh, we had a she she was because this is what she does she is was heading up the class reunion thing at our high school and this was early days of the internet and so oh she's using this classmates.com thing to try to reach out to everybody who's scattered far and wide um and she, you know she reached out to me we finally got in contact and uh <clears throat> And we just started talking, of course, you know, hey, how's it going? Oh, everything's beautiful. It's lovely and yada, 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 you know, and then talk, 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 talk. You finally get down to the, oh, actually. Below surface level. <laughs> right. Oh, actually, everything's not beautiful. Actually, I'm going through this shit. Actually, I'm, you know, in, in severe turmoil because of it. You know, all of, and she's got her stuff going on. I've got my stuff going on. <clears throat> and we kept in contact through that. And then, uh. She was living in San Antonio at the time. I was in North Carolina. And uh, we just thought, would this work? So, you know, we're now we're both separated and doing our own things. And we're like, you know, will this work? She had the opportunity to travel at that time. The company she worked with, she could pretty much live anywhere and do her, do her gig from wherever. Mm -hmm. um, so she did that. And that's, you know, that was, I don't know, it was 90 eight ninety nine ish somewhere around in there and uh yeah and then we dated for a while and got married and been running strong ever since i i will not say it's been an easy ride both of us yeah. man we and, and to go woo again um we we laugh at each other we're like man we signed up for a humdinger this go around <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what we thought when we were floating around in the ether and thought, yeah, we want some of that. But uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride, man. We have, we have been through, I mean, we have been top of the world together and we have been in the gutter together um, and it's been an awesome ride and I wouldn't do it with anybody else with her. I mean, it's been, it's been beautiful through all of that. Oh, so the idea of working with your partner, um, mm -hmm. to me is like, in some ways I can see how it would work in some ways mm -hmm. I, I'm like, Oh, wow. I, I like, this may just drop an atom bomb on the relationship. Right. Right. And, and so how, how do you guys make that work? Cause from the outside, it's just like, you guys are clearly love each other. There's always a sign of affection when you're around each other and you have this business and it's like, there's obviously some turmoil that we don't see, but how do you make right. it work? What's the secret? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's interesting you bring this up, Boomer. So whenever we, whenever we're at masterminds, whenever we ask to talk at masterminds or any of that on podcasts that we've done together, initially we thought, okay, we're going to be in a mastermind or on a podcast and we're going to get fielded business questions. You know, how did you build Paleo FX? How did you do, you know, on the business side? We never get asked that. We always get asked, how in the hell do you guys run a business together and not kill each other? How, yeah. do you, how do you make it work? And it's over and over and over and over again. And I think it's one of those things where you, when you live something, and I'm not going to say it's easy because it's not, but you just expect that everybody can do it. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, it's not the case. So to, so to answer your, your point, number one, um, both of us are very good at, disagreeing with each other honorably mm -hmm. right and we we do disagree um not on everything but you get two passionate people and we are if nothing else like passionate about paleo fx you're not going to agree on everything 
right? So there, so there's that. We can have a discussion. We can disagree honorably um, without hurting each other and move on. <clears throat> so there's that aspect. It's a super important aspect. Um, number two, we divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. um, Michelle, like I said, is much more business oriented. I try to stay out of that lane. Um, I am much more marketing connections, uh, uh, 30,000 foot vision, that kind of thing. I stay in my lane. Mm -hmm. um, is, is there overlap? There's obviously overlap, but if it's a business decision, although I will consult with her and give her what I think she makes that decision and I'm yeah. good with it. Um, if it's a, if it's a, I call it a navigational question, marketing question. She has input. I listen to it. But at the end of the day, she's like, that's, that's your arena. Boom, run with mm -hmm. it. Um, if you look at our relationship as it pertains to Paleo FX, I would be like the navigator on a ship. She would be the captain. Gotcha. And that's, and that's how we roll. Now, that was not easy for me as a male in this society to say she's the captain. I, mm -hmm. that took a lot of internal work, mm -hmm. a lot. And, and I, you know, I would like to say that I, that I uh, saw that early and I deci decided, yes, that's the way it should be. I did not. I went mm -hmm. through many years of imposter syndrome. I went through many years of why the hell am I doing this? My contributions don't matter. All of the wham, 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 you know, woe is me. Um, just, just for the longest period of time, just the fact of seeing Michelle Norris, CEO, Paleo FX, I couldn't handle it. Yeah. I, it, it, I mean, and, and that's just being from a total male perspective. That was hard for me to take. Um, but I did a lot of work on that. And I, you know, we can get into plant medicine, uh, psychedelics. Work, but oh, I, don't worry, we're going to get into I, that. <laughs> but, but I dove deep and explored that and explored why, why would that upset me? Mm -hmm. You know, why, why would that upset me? And I had to come to terms with what I am good at mm -hmm. and, be, and be solid in that and be able to express to her that, yeah, there was a period of time when seeing Michelle Norris, CEO, made me resent you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we can have those open discussions now because our relationship is so tight and she gets it. You know, she's like, I get it. It's tough to be a man in this society. And your wife is the CEO of the company that you're involved. That's tough. I get it. You yeah. know? And so she gets it. I get it. Um, and we work together that way. And I, I can tell you, honestly, if our skill sets were flipped, she would be totally fine with, Keith Norris, CEO, and she would mm -hmm. run with it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's totally about skill sets. It's totally about what we're good at. Um, so there's that. But, you know, that did not come easy. It took lots of communication. It took lots of soul searching on both, both of our parts. Um, and it, you know, the communication thing, the ability to disagree honorably and um, all of those things. And, and those, those are skills, right? They're not generally things that are intuitive. Those are skills that you have to work on it. And... You have to work on it both individually and as a partnership and as a team. Mm -hmm. So conversation around the Norris household. I, mm -hmm. I, I think there's this idea of work-life balance, which I've been <laughs> known to call a little bit of a myth. Um, a conversation around the Norris household. How, does it mainly focus around paleo effects or are there times, I guess, let me rephrase the, com the question another way. 
do you guys shut off from that or is it consistently a part of the conversation? And if you shut off, how? Um, there are periods where we can shut off, but it's not like uh, every day at six, we pull the plug. Yeah. It, just doesn't, it, it doesn't work that way. There mm-hmm. are some days, some weeks even, especially now in the run up to Paleo FX, that it dominates our life and our conversation 24 seven. That's just the way that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, now we do try to take breaks even in the run up to paleo FX to check out for a day, to check out for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps. But I, I, I think that we have come to this balance and a work life balance for us. Isn't like I say, pulling the plug at 6 PM every night. That just, it's not practical. It doesn't work. Um, but we take moments in a day where we can back off and be just us. We can take hours in, on a weekend, hours in a day to back off and be just us. Um, and and it's, a, it's more of a flow than yeah. it is a, a, it's more of a flow than it is a on-off thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I always prefer the term work-life integration because if you enjoy right. what you're doing, does it necessarily matter? Right, um, right. And, so. uh, you know, we both have side projects that we do every, mm-hmm. that, that are completely alone, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, for one thing, I take, I, I take like two hours a day and I work out some mm-hmm. form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Today, it's going to be bike riding and sprints. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. it'll be in the gym. It, it's just the mix. Michelle could take her leave working out. Sometimes mm-hmm. she does, sometimes she doesn't. Um, but she has other things, you know, she likes massage. She likes to go out with the ladies and have coffee. She, she does other things totally on her own. So I think that's very important too, that you have hobbies or things that you do that are totally on your own. Yes. But also hobbies and things that you do together outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, for one of our hobbies <laughs> outside of work is, um, consciousness exploration. Let's, uh, do you mind if we go into that one? Absolutely. So the term plant medicine has been floated. You've said uh, early on, you said something about CNS scarcity mindset. And Mm -hmm. I want to bring that back to the forefront because plant medicine is something that I've only started recently exploring. And we're talking past eight months ish. And I would love to hear just kind of how you initially got into it. And, you know, what methodologies have you used to explore? Maybe we'll start there and then I'll continue to pepper you with questions. Right. Well, what methodologies have we explored? I'll jump on that one first. So, mm-hmm. um, ayahuasca, wachuma, um, high dose psilocybin, mm-hmm. um, mixtures of those medicines, um, MDMA, um, I'm pretty sure ketamine will be on the mix here pretty soon because we're lucky enough to live in Austin, have access to I've, Ali Waddell and her partner Ken's uh, Illumina uh, uh-huh. ketamine clinic. Um, roughly, those are the those are the big players. Roughly, uh-huh. um, how did we get involved in it? I guess when yeah. I, what point? Because this is for me. It was through a mentor who suggested, like, hey, you may want to try this. Uh, it was mainly around the concept of ego and mm-hmm. dissolution of the ego, but right. I would love to hear just sort of everybody has their own story. Right. So I have, since the early days of Terrence McKenna, I've been a huge Terrence McKenna fan. Yeah. 
Um, so, and Dennis McKenna as well, uh, who's, who has spoken at Paleo FX, by the way, which is, was he, he was there. I, I remember that oh, one. Yeah. Right. Um, so always been a big fan, always been, um, let me just back up to my early days. I was, I, I, let me just say, I'm not a stranger to psychedelics in the, <laughs> in, in the party set. So, yeah. um, but I, but I always knew Although I, although I didn't have access to the right people, I always knew that there was more to these substances than just the party scene, mm-hmm. right? I, and I, I don't know how I knew that. Um, I, I just kind of intuitively felt that there could be so much more that could be done with these substances other than just, hey, let's have a good time and party, and you know, which, which is cool. I, I, I get that scene too. Totally get. I'm, I'm a burner. I <laughs> totally get that scene. Yeah. Totally get that scene too. But. Um, big fan of Terrence McKenna and like really, especially his book, food of the gods. I think I was like, just totally number one, turned on by the prospect of, and the theory of the stone date theory, right? Mm -hmm. That that this hockey stick rise in intelligence and creativity maybe came about by the ingestion of mushrooms. Right. And that sparked that creativity in the human mind. Of course, it's just a, you know, it's a theory, um, but it, it seems to make a lot of sense. If you've been in those states, you can go, oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, that might have been a catalyst for, mm-hmm. for human consciousness expl- uh, explosion of that and creativity. Um, so flash forward to the time where I own the gyms here in Austin. At that time, I was training uh, Whitney Miller who was at that time, Aubrey Marcus's uh, girlfriend, significant other here in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, a very interesting story in her own right. She was a Miss USA 2012, I think it was. Um, kind of a tomboy girl, very, very athletic and only did the beauty queen thing because it was another competition. And she's like, I could do that. I, you know, she, that's, that's the way she is. I can do that. I can do that. Um, and indeed she did. She entered um, kicked ass one, but then she was on her Miss USA tour and having to play the beauty queen day after day, after day, after day. And she was like, this isn't me. Yeah. You know, the people saw her in that role as beauty queen. And she's like, uh, really, I'm not, I'm kind of a tomboy from Corpus Christi, Texas. This isn't my, you know, that that's a role I played. It's not me, but, yeah. pe- but people put her in that box as a beauty queen. And that really affected her. Right. It really, it really got to her. And so when she was done with that year, she said, I am reinventing myself completely and totally. And, you know, she started wrestling BJJ. Then she got into female MMA fighting mm-hmm. at that time. Um, so, so there was that in, in that background, um, I was doing some of her strength and conditioning training. And she, if anyone knows Whitney or knew her then, and she still is, super freaking driven type a personality gonna get it done i mean she can flip like a switch from being you know happy go lucky to i'm gonna rip your head off like right now mm-hmm. um <clears throat> which is great for an athlete um she kind of came across to especially other females as being very aggressive very just domineering you know all of those things and uh 
So anyway, there's that. There's a there's a background of that. She came to me one day, and this in a ayahuasca had started to come on my radar, and I was starting to do heavy, heavy reading. Mm-hmm. Everything I could get my hands on it was a super interesting substance. I wanted to know everything I could about it, and uh, it just so happened that she came to me and she said, "Hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be checking out for about six weeks. I'm going down to Peru, and I'm going to, you know, just check out, take some time off, and I'm going to do a few retreats while I'm down there." And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, freaking awesome. Cool. All right. See you when you get back. So she leaves, goes to Peru for six weeks, comes back. And the person who appeared before me when she came back was totally and utterly changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, just her whole vibe, her whole presence, everything about her was different. She just kind of glowed in a different way. Mm-hmm. But, but still had that competitive edge. It just came from a different place. Yeah. Right. So she wasn't just all kumbaya and, you know, I mean, she could still turn it on. She still did what she had to do. She was still an excellent fighter. She still worked out like a fiend. It just came from a different place. And I thought, wow, I could read 10,000 books on ayahuasca and its effects, but I, I see it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I see, and we, we had some discussions about it. Anyway, she, um, but, but I told her, I was like, Whitney, I can't, I've got a business run. I can't check out for six weeks. Like, you, kudos to you for being able to do that, but I can't do that. And she said, well, I know a guy. And uh, he's an accomplished shaman. And I can put you in touch. And uh, you guys can figure it out. But you won't have to go, you won't have to go to Peru. I won't tell you where this took place because it's eh, a little yeah, dicey. You can probably read between the lines. Yeah. But, um, and I said, Awesome. Yes, please put me in touch. So anyway, she put me in touch, and a couple months later, I was sitting in my first retreat, and uh, it blew my freaking mind. It totally just I and let me say again that I am no stranger to high doses of substances, but this was on another level complete other level. And I think that that brings up a very good point, right? Because like you, when I was in my 20s, I was in my 20s when I was trying these substances and going out to like the nightclubs in various parts of Asia, very different experience, but set and setting and all of a sudden uh, your intention's different for one. And then you have somebody guiding you along the way. And it's like, that that actually can be life-changing. Right. It's a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's not even the same experience. Mm-hmm. Totally different. And um, yeah, like you say, having a guide is paramount. Being in the right atmosphere is paramount because you just cannot go deep enough to do the work you need to do if you're in a setting where you feel uncomfortable or mm-hmm. there's any kind of distrust involved. Um, you just can't do it. You can't go deep enough to be able to let loose, to explore those corners of your consciousness that you will be shown. And some of it is beautiful and some of it is agonizing and horrible, mm-hmm. uh, but you just can't do the proper exploration unless you completely trust the group you're with and the guide you're with. And it's very important on the, op- on, on the output side of that to do very, very deep and detailed integration following. Yeah. It's not like taking your car to get your brakes fixed and then pull out everything's hunky dory and you're ready to rock and roll. It just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. 
um, lots of integration with people who who uh, both know integration and a guide is is paramount. And this particular shaman had all of that, and she knew it, which is why she recommended that we go to him. So uh, this is something that suffice to say, both both you and I probably have done this more than once, and mm-hmm. myself not ayahuasca, but other. Right. Um, but it compounds, right? Like it's not one of these things where you go in, like for instance, you hear ibogaine and with heroin addicts and being very right. effective, right? Right. But it's not like ibogaine and heroin and people stop it like the next day. This actually compounds in terms of what you get out of it. Right. Do you mind just going down the the wormhole a little bit about some of the things that you've got out of this? Because I think that's very important for people to hear. Right. Although I have seen people stop addictions in one ceremony of wow. ayahuasca. Yeah. Wow. I, so it does happen. It's not as prevalent as with uh, ibogaine. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does happen. And that's part of the integration part. Um, you know, addictions do have a physical component, yes, but primarily they are psychological addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about Vietnam vets and heroin addiction back in the 60s. I mean, yeah. it's, it's right. So, um, it, and I won't go down that rabbit hole, but if your listeners want to look at that, you can just uh, Google Vietnam and heroin addiction and what happened to those soldiers when they returned to the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a super interesting story. But so there is there is physical addiction, yes, but it is trumped by uh, environment. We'll just put mm-hmm. it that way. Um, I'm sorry. What was it? What was the question? Yeah, <laughs> no worries. I, I can totally get lost in this one too. Uh, so for those listening, um, we've talked a little bit about scarcity mindset as well as just, right, right. Uh, you know, different things uh, that we anchor to as males uh, with identity. If you don't mind going into some of the benefits that you've got from right. you know, various psychedelics, that would be really helpful for people. Right. So I, I will just kind of stick to ayahuasca right now. So I've done I don't know, 70 plus ayahuasca ceremonies. It, it, it's been, a, it, I've kind of lost count. It's been many, many, many. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I look back over the years of this trajectory, my first few ceremonies were, if my ego or my consciousness were a pinata, it was like ayahuasca was a Louisville slugger to that. And it just exploded my ego, my consciousness into 10 bazillion little shards. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine each one of those shards was an issue, some kind of an issue that was, that was hamstringing me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first, I don't know, 20 something, 30 ceremonies that I did were like, okay, I would wrestle with this issue in this ceremony and you know, then I'd switch over to this issue and wrestle with that. And it was all like this. When I look back now, it was all kind of peeling back the onion. Yeah. Peel, peel back the onion, peel back the onion, peel back the onion, peel back the onion to where now when I'm in ceremonies, whether it be ayahuasca, whether it be um, psilocybin, whether it be MDMA, um, combinations of ayahuasca and psilocybin, which is called ma, mm-hmm. um, which is a fabulous combination. Uh, it's ma ma, um, wachuma. All of these substances. I I I have gotten down to this root of 
what what is my north star as an individual what what is the north star of my consciousness and that north star revolves around freedom mm-hmm. that is everything for me hinges on freedom anything that hampers my freedom i try to push away or i resent mm-hmm. and, I, and it's coming to that knowledge and what are my other north stars my other north stars are love and truth in community so freedom love truth and community are my north stars wow and when i when i think about that and when i think about when i am fully alive it is being in a tribe of my own choosing of people that i love in the pursuit of truth whether that's inner truth or outer truth yeah that's what makes me feel alive and everything else everything else in my life all my relationships all my business situations everything if if they can align with that then i am golden mm-hmm. if they don't align with that i've got to shed it and get rid of it so all of this in it, that sounds like really really easy and i came to you know it just came to that realization but it was not without some really 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 deep work mm-hmm. and i could I, and i couldn't have just leapfrogged to that conclusion i had to take care of all of those outer layers of the onion for that to even be able to appear to me yeah i had to fix all those other you know i'm like anybody else man i've got i've got issues too i've got mommy issues i've got you know programming issues from my youth i've got i've got issues right and i've dealt with all of those issues and i've mm-hmm. you know i've worked through them i've forgiven people um i've asked for forgiveness for those who i have hurt you know all of that stuff all of that all of that deep work none of which by the way i i don't believe i could have ever done any other way I, I don't. I don't believe I could have meditated to that point. I, I don't believe it, it, it would have just hit me over the head. It, it, I, you know, for me, anyway, it had to come with the assistance of psychedelics and plant medicine. That was for me. I'm not saying this for everybody, but for me, that opened the door for me to be able to explore these things. Can it be done through meditation and other means? Absolutely. It I, may I think take it a little longer. It may take a little longer. But you know that, but it can it? Yes. Uh, would it have for me? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I think- and along my exploration of this, you know, and I've only been at exploring these for eight months, and I think I like a lot of people had a very strong hesitation to get into these. Mm-hmm. But you know, just the few ceremonies that I've been through, or journeys, if you will, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> have been each one individually life-changing. And this has been with a guide. This is right. not something where I'm going out and blowing my brains out. Right. It's with a guide. And, you know, I had a lot of those issues around external validation mm-hmm. and of course, childhood issues that we, we don't <laughs> necessarily need to go into right here. Right. Right. But how did, um, in particularly the, the male identity one, let's mm-hmm. go into that one as just sort of a, a final spot on psychedelics. Right. How did that come up and how did you resolve that? Yeah, so one of one of the issues that was revealed to me. So, so I'll, I'll paint a picture for you. So I, and, and this was eighteen months ago, maybe. I was in a uh, deep psilocybin experience, and in that experience, I found myself just 
awash in sensuality and feminine bliss. I, I can't put it any other way. It was, <laughs> it, it wasn't one particular female. It was like all of femininity. It, it's kind of, it's putting, putting these experiences in the English language or any language is tough anyway, but it, I, it, it is. <laughs> so, and, and it was beyond orgasmic. It was just a wash in this feminine energy sensuality Mm -hmm. and i abruptly snapped out of it and it was it was like waking from a dream that you're like why the fuck did i wake up let me go back to sleep and try to get right back and so that that's kind of the space i was was like why why did i bring myself out of that you know what are you crazy go back go go back to whatever that was Mm -hmm. and i'm having this kind of internal conversation of course i'm deep in a psilocybin experience um and then i and, and then i and it the thought went through my mind why why did you come out of that what was it what was it internally that prompted you to snap yourself out of that and i journeyed on that for a while and i thought okay let me go back let me check in with my body how did that feel what was it that brought me out of that experience it was so freaking beautiful beyond exploration and the thought came to me, distrust. Yeah. And I thought, distrust? The hell is that all about? Like, do I distrust the feminine? Do I distrust sensuality? And so for the next 18 months, that was kind of a kind of the theme for the the journeys that I went on. And I the more I the more I journeyed on it, the more I thought about it, um, I was brought up again, very blue-collar atmosphere. And the only way out of that existence was eyes on the prize, total type A personality, total, total masculine charge, mm-hmm. and the, the idea that if you show any vulnerability whatsoever, any, any weak underbelly, I also kickboxed when I was younger too, so... You see, you see the eyes start to swell up. What do you go for? You just freaking attack the, I mean, you start to see these weak underbellies. So vulnerability is not to be shown under any circumstance yeah. or you will get crushed mm-hmm. and being raised by a, you know, a mom and, and a dad too. And my, my parents were together, but my mom was a primary influence in my young life and she raised a son not to get crushed in this environment. Well, how mm-hmm. do you do that? How do you best do that? Well, you raise you raise a son to be a tough, be not vulnerable, and you withhold love until that child produces. Mm-hmm. Right. So I had this whole complex tied up about I do not deserve love or I do not deserve abundance unless I perform. Right. And yeah. so you can take that idea and you can craft a freaking amazing athlete out of that idea. You can create an amazing soldier out of the idea. You can create an amazing corporate warrior out of that that idea. And you can damn sure create a good entrepreneur with that energy and that idea. Mm -hmm. And it's exhausting. And you will train wreck if you continue to do that. And And I think for me, that was a wake up call that you're operating in this energy. You're at the top of your game right now using this energy and it's not going to last you're going to crumble eventually unless you get this figured out Mm -hmm. and you have a choice 
You can either maintain this energy. It's almost like being a carpenter and just being a freaking wizard at all of your, all of the tools you have at your disposal. And then saying, I'm going to walk away from my carpentry grain. I'm at the top and I'm going to step into something I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that something I don't know? It's something in the, in the subconscious of something you don't know is chaos. Chaos mm-hmm. is represented by femininity and sensuality. I mean, there's a lot of tie back here. And wow. so, so yeah, so it's, I mean, these ideas and concepts are so very, very deep in our subconscious. And so I know that I need to change energies in order to, number one, continue to be healthy, but to continue doing what I want to do, which is seek truth with my friends and family of choice and be free. The only way I can do that is to leave those tools behind and step into something else. And I don't really know what that something else is. And it's scary. Right. And it's, so it's all of that. So all of that I'm dealing with right now, but I could never have gotten there without that initial ceremony that just shattered my ego and consciousness into bits. And I had to go back and chase and start peeling back the onion. When you look back at a trajectory of plant medicine work, it is freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's anybody. I mean, I have my own story and my own trajectory, but if, if you talk to anybody who has done this work, over a period of time, they all have amazing stories of the trajectory. And if, if you think that, that, that the plants don't have intelligence, uh, I, again, I could go very, very woo here, but I mean, there's a master plan <laughs> in the it, world. It, it, yeah, uh, it, it feels like uh, that. And theoretical physics is, is doing a very good job of trying to prove that too. Right, right. Uh, Super interesting. So Keith, I think that's a very beautiful place to leave off and perhaps we're going to have another conversation here. I want to transition into the final questions, if you will, just sort of rapid fire. Uh, But this has been amazing. It's such, I told you I wanted your time for 60 minutes and you've given me almost 90. So I apologize for taking so much. No problem. Uh, So book, which has most impacted your way of thinking. Wow. And I am such a voracious reader. Um, well, I already mentioned Food of the Gods. That was a, that was a huge book. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I, all, of the, all of the texts, uh, you know, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, um, uh, all of that. I mean, read without a religious lens. Yeah. Right? So, so you can read it with a religious lens or you can read it more of a like I read the Bible with through an Eastern thought lens, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, right? I that have makes no, sense. Right, I have no religious um, uh, leaning per se. I'm spiritual, yes, which I which I know is a freaking catchword or what you know, spiritual AF. But I, I'm very <laughs> spiritual, not religious. Um, so I read all of these books through an Eastern lens. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, after that, it, it, all else is commentary, man. I mean, all the, all the knowledge in the world resides in you, which is, which is one thing that I truly believe. And the true path is remembering. It's mm-hmm. not learning, it's remembering. And I've had that message so many times in ceremony. It's like, it's not out there, man. It's in you. You just have to remember, remember, remember. Um, so yeah, so there's, but I mean, there's a, 
plethora of books. I, I could just run down a list. I also love fiction too, yeah. which, you know, I, Cormac McCarthy is one of my favorite all-time authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do read a lot of fiction because I think that illuminates reality in a way that, that, um, that nonfiction can't. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's strange how that works, but it, but it really does. So yeah, so those just off the top of my head, but God, I've got libraries of books that I think are fantastic. Yeah. We can, we can save that one for another time. Right. Uh, what's your top trick for enhancing your focus? For me, it's movement. Um, if I don't move, I'm not focused. Um, and that's, that's really it. I mean, it's, it sounds cliche and easy. Um, probably the second trick would be, um, sleep. <laughs> if I, if I get adequate sleep and if I move on the daily, I am laser focused. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. What excites you about the health world at this moment? You know, what excites me most is the fact that for, from all of the people we have speak at Paleo FX, all of those people have a leaning, but not a dogma. Right. So if, so if I look at Mark Hyman or if I look at Rob Wolf, they have a leaning and that leaning has changed over time as they've grown, as they've learned more information, as it comes into them, as they assess that new information, they change course and -hmm. they are not at all bashful about saying yesterday, I believed this, but today I believe this. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the mark of a super truth-seeking, intelligent individual that you don't have to hold to your guns because you believe something 20 years ago. Yeah. And you are confident enough in yourself to say, yeah, I was wrong. Two years ago, I was wrong. Now I believe different and here's why. And um, two years from now, it may change again. And that's two okay. years from now, it may change again. Yeah. And I live my, my own life that way. I'm, you know, I, I live by the dictum that, that I, we are all blinded by our biases mm-hmm. and we can't help it. I mean, that's part of the human condition. So if you just accept that you're blinded by your own biases, what are you going to do about that? And I think the only way to, 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 to combat that is to question your own assumptions daily. And I do that daily. And, and I, I still ask myself, is a, do I believe that the paleo diet is the best diet to eat? Just for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think about it and I ruminate on it and, and I would have no problem, which is why the paleo FX umbrella is so wide. That's why it includes, you know, just on the diet side of things, carnivore diet and mm-hmm. Mediterranean keto and keto and all of these variants, because it really, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, we have, we, we can best guess. I know what I feel like internally when I eat a certain diet consistently. I know that. Um, but I don't know everything. For instance, I recently, within the last six months or so, shifted from what would be considered more of a traditional paleo diet that was agnostic on saturated fat. And I shifted because of some genetic work that I did with Dr. Dan Stigler yeah. that, uh, that showed that I had an APO 3-4, which predisposes me to uh, early onset cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. Um, which is enhanced by my years spent playing football and kickboxing. I did myself absolutely zero favors in mm-hmm. that regard. So I have to dial in my diet to more of a Mediterranean keto diet, right? If you would have told me that five years ago and I said, yeah, you're 
freaking crazy. Saturated fat hurts nobody. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe different now. I believe it, it hurts. Uh, or it, um, it's about a quarter of the population, right? Right. That, yeah. that some, most people tolerate it well, yeah. except for, oh, the irony, me. And, <laughs> and oh, the irony, Michelle, who has the same, who has the same allele. Um, yeah. So it's just very, very interesting. So I have changed course mm-hmm. on that. Um, yeah. So Keith, where can people uh, first tell us about this year's event? Because right. everyone listening is going to want to go and get tickets. And then also where can people find out more about you? Right. So um, the easiest place is www.paleofx.com. You can find out all the information on the event there. This year's event will be April 24th through the 26th in beautiful Austin, Texas. If you haven't been to Austin in the spring, do yourself a favor and come to Austin in the spring. Mm-hmm. Make preparations to leave in uh, July and August because it gets hot as hell here. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, we have a very, we have a very vibrant um, digital nomad community that comes through Austin every spring. And it just kind of, I love it in the spring because they all settle here and they all leave town <laughs> in the summer, which is, uh, makes it a little bit lonelier, but I get it. It's super hot here. Um, so anyway, April 24th through the 26th here in Austin, Texas. Um, we, uh, Boomer, we talked about getting you a link that you can drop in the show yeah, notes if you're course. looking for tickets. Um, so we'll do that and, uh, yeah, make a, and make a week of it because I mean, the after parties here are incredible. Yep. This is, this is a lively community, man. We are, we are not monks by any means. Healthy individuals love to express that in play and party. Exactly. And, yeah, and I'll be there for sure. And I'm looking for sure, forward yeah. to, you know, all the time spent with you and Michelle, but also right. the community. It's, it's, one of my favorite things to look forward to every year. So I'm looking forward to it later on in April, but Keith, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I love diving through topics with you and we can continue Absolutely. on for hours. So thank right. you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you ever want to discuss again, we can go, uh, we can deep focus on any one of those rabbit holes. And oh, there's, there's a few that things. I want to go down. <laughs> right on. Awesome. All right. Right on. Thank you, Keith. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Boomer. All right. To all the superhumans listening, have an epic day. Did you guys enjoy that episode with Keith Norris? Hell, I could have gone on with the guy for hours, and I'm sure I will at some point in the future, perhaps in Austin for this year's Paleo FX. We enjoyed topics around psychedelics, what it's like to confront fear and then overcome fear. And what I really appreciate is Keith's thoughtfulness on each question. He's extremely well-read, and so you're going to want to check out the show notes for this one, which are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash paleofx. I enjoyed this conversation, and if you did too, share it out on the social medias, wherever you happen to be. Tag myself at Decoding Superhuman and Keith Norris at Theory to Practice, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Again, the show notes along with the discounts to PaleoFX are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash PaleoFX. Thank you all, superhumans. I appreciate you. Have an epic day and choose health.